Hey there, conductors. If you've ever felt that you're not quite sure what to do next when you're studying a score, maybe you don't even know where to start with a difficult piece. Maybe you study one piece too much and then you realize at the first rehearsal that you don't know another one well enough. Or maybe you're a new conductor and you don't know what score study is. I'm excited to share that I'm finally publishing and sharing my score study checklist. I've been refining this for 12 years now, and I'm so excited to share it. It is going to walk you through my structure, my process to make sure that I learn every score that I need to learn well enough and so that nothing falls through the cracks. So it covers everything that you need to know. There's a link in the show notes. Go ahead and click it, sign up, and you'll get that score study checklist sent right to your email. You'll also get access to an eight-minute video of me explaining what each section is and how I use it to organize all the music that I need to learn. It's only eight minutes, so it's not going to take you a whole hour to learn how to study better, how to put up a process for your score study and how to make sure that nothing is falling through the cracks. So again, click the link in the show notes, and I hope to see you soon. Now, please enjoy this episode of Podium Time. Welcome to Podium Time, the podcast for conductors and students. There have certainly been a number of things I've noticed that I think would not have been uh, said the way that they were had I been male. And I mean, nothing major, nothing uh, for me to get horribly upset about or insulting. I mean, just, you know, I did a a concert in Australia last year that got a great review, but it said, you know, the conductor, comma, garbed dramatically in black and red, Mm. comma, you know, and I can't really imagine the conductor comma, garb traditionally <laughs> handsome tuxedo, comma, you, you know, it's just, it's just you know. All right, well, good morning, Dr. Carolyn Watson. Welcome to Podium Time. Thank you so much for speaking with us this morning. Um, would you start off by giving us your path to the podium? What got you here? And thank you both uh, very much for for having me. Um, you know, mine's been a, an interesting journey, I guess, and a varied one, and it's taken me in some directions that I wasn't sure that it would. I mean, you know, I guess when you're starting out on something, you're not always sure which way the road is going to lead. Um, in short, I, I guess I came to conducting quite late, relatively speaking. I trained originally as a violinist and a music educator, and I was working teaching violin and working with young ensembles in a high school. And honestly, I just um, I came to conducting thinking, oh, I'm just finding myself in front of large groups of uh, people with instruments. I wonder I should learn to do this better. I mean, of course, I'd done the basic um, floor, door, window, ceiling sort of thing. Um, and it was, uh, uh, you know, really that, that that inspired me to to look a little bit further. So I started at that time a master's in uh, conducting at the Conservatorium in Sydney, uh, Sydney, Australia. That's where I, I'm from and um, had really no um, intention of actually pursuing conducting professionally. Was really quite happy in the job that I had at that time. And that uh, my entry into the conducting program uh, later that year um, coincided with the arrival in Sydney of a, a conductor by the name of Imre Palo, who had uh, come from the Jacobs School of Music at Indiana University, where he was the head of instrumental conducting. And he had been brought over by the 
dean to start um, to establish a, a you know a world leading conducting program, and I thought that was very nice, but I wasn't particularly interested in that <laughs> um, because that was really you know not not uh, what I was um, you know not what I felt I'd signed up for anyway. So needless to say, we we had a a healthy disagreement uh, over a number of things over a number of years, and uh, somehow at the end of those two years, when I was still very much intent on um, uh, you know pursuing what it was that I had decided that I was going to do, I found myself at Aspen at the uh, American Academy of Conducting, and I had the chance there to study for nine weeks with David Zinman, and that for me was really the the, the turning point. I guess I found myself in a class of. Um, uh, you know, young conductors from all over the world, um, a, a very large number from North America, of course, out of the finest schools and conservatories, a number of them already working professionally. Um, and I think that opportunity really opened my mind and my, my eyes to to the greater possibilities um, that, that were potentially available to me. Mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah, it was a very it was a very challenging summer, um, and uh, but at the same time a very formative summer. So I went home to Australia, and I, I was kind of gosh, sort of at this crossroads as it, as it, as it were. And a few months later, I was like, okay, let's figure this out. What does being a professional conductor really, really look like? So um, I guess I, I well, in many ways, I still think I'm figuring it out. Um, and um, but the last the last few years is kind of history. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that that summer at Aspen, uh, coming into contact with so many uh, so many people, I certainly learned much more about the United States and uh, the musical environment here. And that was the point in my my life, the first time in which I heard the the name of this place, Interlochen, mentioned. And um, I think ever since that time, it had very much been on my radar, and also the possibility of looking at coming to the United States um, and seeing what all you know a career here might might look like. So I think five or so years after I was at Aspen, I read a, an advertisement for uh, the conductor of the Interlochen Arts Academy Orchestra, and I was like, "Ha! I know what that is." So, uh, <laughs> and I think I'd be a good fit, and uh, yeah, turned out I was. Mm-hmm. Now you had you had mentioned that you uh, you n- mentioned a difference in like the style of learning you know music over here in North America. Is it different over in Australia than it is here? Like what what would be different about it? Would you say? Um, that's a really good question. I think it's uh, probably very difficult to generalize, you know, North America um, and or, you know, the United States, as it were, in the same way, it's very difficult to generalize how things are in Australia, because depending on whether you are in a major metropolitan area, that's quite different to if you're in a more remote uh, rural or country country area. I think probably, though, the very, very biggest difference that I guess I, as a conductor, a music educator, musician here, perceive um, I mean, the United States uh, has a very large population, much larger than Australia. And, you know, in Australia, the population is very much centered on, on one one coast, the eastern seaboard. Um, and there's not so much in the middle of the country. I mean, certainly there's, there's dangerous snakes and kangaroos. Um, but that's uh, a very different thing in the uh, United States where, you know, actually between the coasts, certainly between... Uh, you know, uh, the, the wonderful Northeast that is, you know, Boston, Philadelphia, all of those wonderfully well-established orchestras. 
and, you know, um, newer ensembles on the other coast, there's an awful lot in the middle of the country as well. Um, mm -hmm. uh, really fine music schools, uh, really fine universities, phenomenal orchestras and opera companies, you know, in in the middle of the country. So that's one major difference that I, I, I've noticed. Um, you know, the, the population um, as well, I mean, essentially the population of Australia is equivalent to that of greater New York. And um, with a population that size, um, there are not necessarily that many opportunities. So mm. that's, um, you know, a big difference in the, U the US. Um, that said, there's also much more competition because I think in the state of Texas, I read a statistic like there's something like 60 universities. Now, we don't have that many in the entire nation of Australia for one state in the U.S. to have that many. Um, it's, yeah, it's really quite something. Um, in terms of whether the style is different, I mean, I'm I'm not sure. I mean, music is quite internationally. I mean, my conducting professor, as I just mentioned, you know, um, came from the U.S. to Australia. He himself was not originally from the U.S. He uh is originally Hungarian. I mean, my violin teacher, when I grew up in Australia, um, she was from Germany. Um, I myself have traveled quite a bit, spent a number of years in Europe. I think I, I feel, you know, music and musicians tend to be quite eclectic, multi-national, uh, as it were, multi-ethnic, mm -hmm. you know, um, in lots of ways. Whether that's accurate, I'm not sure, but that's, I think, been at least my experience, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you could talk about um, studying with, with Zinman a little bit. Uh, my teacher and I talk about his Beethoven recordings a lot and how he does he does a couple weird things in those. So I'm, I'm just curious what his what his teaching style was and what you took from that. Yeah, I mean, he he's a very well-respected uh, conductor who has very, very definite ideas about a lot of things and that, you know, in, in many ways is what conducting is all about. Um, he's a very direct man and I think that was my takeaway from the from the summer he expressed things in a very very direct manner um you know nothing was dressed up uh, there were no airs or graces it's just like you know this is what's wrong fix it this way this is how it has to be and um you know there was certainly everything he said while I, I at the time might not necessarily have appreciated it um when i look back on it was absolutely accurate and um he was very demanding but in a very um i mean you know after 50 years working with top level orchestras you uh you certainly know what they need and you know when he says a gesture isn't clear it needs to be bigger it's absolutely true so mm -hmm. you know and it might feel when you're on the podium as though you are doing it clearly and communicating well and then you look at the video which of course is at the back of the room where he he was standing you're like oh my goodness that yes. was like you know i'm not quite sure <laughs> somebody was scratching their nose or whatever but you know whereas i thought it was a very clear downbeat so um yeah and i think that that was a very uh formative experience and you know for young conductors it's it's just good to know or to, to, to forever be reminded, you know, we think we're clear. Um, and it's it's only until somebody tells us that we're not that we're actually, you know, able to really develop. And I think, you know, being open to hearing those things, um, while that, that certainly does take a bit of time to get used to, um, and mm -hmm. you've just got to find a way to process the information that's given because it's coming from a place of somebody wanting to help you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think every conducting teacher has a couple um, phrases or sayings that they use and you, you know, as you study, you get used to hearing those and yeah. you take them away. Um, were there any of, any of those that your, that your teachers have had that stick with you? Well, 
We were just talking about um, David Zidman and, and yeah, seeing as you ask, I mean, at the end of the summer, I think he summed up our, our nine weeks um, as, as gave, you know, in giving us a few of those takeaways. Number one, don't talk. Number two, <laughs> know the score. Number three, don't talk. <laughs> so that that was that was very very good advice. My my first semester in Sydney as well. Um, there was a guest conductor there by the name of James Lockhart, um, who was a former music director of the Welsh National Opera, and uh, he had spent many of years of his life uh, working with professional orchestras in Germany and also throughout the UK. And we were doing um, we were doing some some opera excerpt or some operatic work. I, I can't recall exactly what the piece was. And his pearl of wisdom was, you know, the thing about opera, you just know something is going to go wrong. You just <laughs> never know where, you know. And I've found that, you know, and every time I conduct an opera, I'm just like, yeah, well, you know, where's it going to be tonight? Yep. You know, how many, you know, and what's it, what's it going to be, you know? And it's often not where you expect. It's often not who you expect. It's often, you know, yeah. somebody that you most definitely do not expect. Um, but, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, something's going to go wrong. Just. Yeah, yeah, that's very yeah. true, actually. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, you know, being able to navigate those curveballs, I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, you had mentioned you were the uh, music director at Interlochen. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is kind of that, like, sometimes you hear from certain people that conducting younger musicians, you have to do things differently than you do with a more mature group. Um, and you mentioned that you had conducted high school before you even got into conducting. So you had obviously been accustomed to conducting, you know, the younger musicians. Are there things that you... Um, had to learn or change once you started conducting the older, uh, more mature musicians that you had, you know, been accustomed to with the younger musicians or did you, were you able to really meld the two and find something that really worked out really well? Hmm. That's a good question. I think, you know, I mean, um, there are, there are certain standards and I think you can bring those standards to working with young musicians. Um, in the same way that you bring those standards to working with professional musicians, the way, however, that you go about communicating those standards and the way that you go about, you know, um, achieving those goals, of course, is slightly different. Often with young musicians, you, you need to, uh, I think, lay much more groundwork, you know, uh, help them understand what's happening because they may, for example, be playing a piece for the first time. They might be playing in orchestra for the first time. They might not never, they, they might not necessarily have played a, you know, let's say Symphony Fantastique, a work of that scope and magnitude. So I think, you know, as a conductor, if you're able to help them understand this is what's going on, this is what the piece is about, you know, um, those kind of overarching geographical sorts of things. At the same time, also, you know, as pointing out more specific things like, you know, um, the first half of the phrase is in the clarinet, then the oboe takes over everybody's ears or attuned to that. Um, of course, you know, when you work and you conduct a work like that with a symphony orchestra, um, you don't have to do any of that because they know all of that. They've played it before. Um, you don't have to point out that, you know, the beat is in the bass, you know, or the, um, the melody is <laughs> divided between here or actually, you know, this is an accompanying figure and that's actually what we need to hear because, um, you know, they, of course, have all of that experience and training. So I think um, – I don't know that my um, – 
I don't know that I change so many things. I think I perhaps just go about it in a different way. Okay. And do you do you plan any of those teaching moments ahead of time, or do they come up in the moment? They come up in the moment, you know, yeah. and often so many more, so many. It's just like, <laughs> you know, conducting is very much a, it's an interactive uh, art form, as it were, you know, um, and a little bit like one of those, you know, online video games. You, you, you know, you know how you'd kind of like it to go, but there's certain obstacles that you've just got to overcome and you've got to find a way to navigate in order to get where you're going. And, and often, you know, when you prepare the score in advance, you it's, you know, and I have quite a bit of experience now working with young ensembles. I think I, I'm able to identify, okay, this is going to be a challenge for the brass. This is going to be a challenge for the strings, the winds. You know, there's lots of notes here. We might need to do this a little bit slower. Um, you know, th those sorts of things. Um, but then you get to the rehearsal and it will be just things that you've never um, necessarily <laughs> considered. It's just like, wow, you know, because every uh, every person is different and then, you know, you put them all together in an ensemble and every orchestra is, uh, is, is, is different. Yeah. Yeah, and you have to be flexible because you can know, you can know for sure that this is going to go wrong and it's totally fine. And then the easy part is what you're going to have to spend half an hour taking apart. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. And or, I mean, you know, uh, I grew up with a certain level of experience. Um, and then, you know, people from different programs in different areas might not necessarily have grown up with those same sets of experiences, you know. Um, and therefore, you know, when they're playing a certain piece at, um, at an equivalent equivalent. Mm -hmm. sorry, equivalent age or stage, they might not necessarily have um, have had those, uh, you know, background or formative steps. So, you know, you have to fill them in, you have to help them out, you have to, um, I guess, put the the building blocks there to enable them to succeed mm -hmm. with the the task that you've given them, and that that certainly can be uh, more challenging than the one one had in mind originally. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Oh well, um, we definitely want to talk about winning the having you win the position at uh, KU. That's a really big job at a big school. Um, what was the process of that like? Um, you know, it was fairly fairly standard in terms of I think how um, uh, U.S. universities and colleges um, advertise and and look for jobs. So um, this might be of of help for some of your listeners who are currently studying master's and doctoral <laughs> programs. Um, the time that the majority of U.S. university positions are advertised is uh, early in the fall, basically as soon as school goes back. So if you're a final year master's and or doctoral student, the time that you should start looking is the, the very beginning of that fall semester. Um, and probably the most comprehensive database of, of college school listings is the College Music Society. Um, uh, you can also find many of those same uh, positions advertised on the Chronicle of Higher Education. Um, you know, there are a few conducting masterclass uh, websites around, but probably the College Music Society has got the, the most comprehensive listing. So I saw uh, that position advertised there. I then um, thought, hmm, okay, that's a little bit interesting. So I researched the uh, school. I found out what I what I possibly could about the program, about the people there, about the sorts of degree offerings that are um, 
you know, on offer there. I looked at the faculty colleagues to see whether whether these are, you know, people that I might have some things in common with, common research interests, etc. And I, as it turned out, I knew uh, somebody on um, faculty there. So I called and I spoke and got a lot of background information regarding the orchestral program, um, the kind of conductor they felt might be appropriate at this stage, um, you know, some of the recent history, the repertoire that the orchestra had had played, you know, what I think um, the university, the school was looking for in terms of moving moving forward and all of those things seem to be in line with I think where I was and what I was looking for. So I put together my application and applications for those sorts of uh, positions, they uh, are fairly comprehensive. There's a uh, resume and or CV, generally some online in the old days, it used to be DVDs, but now they're online links to, you know, um, YouTube, Vimeo, wherever you host your, uh, your, your conducting videos. Um, this particular position also had a statement of teaching philosophy, I think also a repertoire list. Sometimes places ask for uh, potential programs mm-hmm. to see that, for example, you, you know, um, your choice, your taste in repertoire is going to be an appropriate fit for not only the level of the students there, but also that it's suitably uh, and pedagogically varied and appropriate all of those, um, all of those sorts of things. So that was essentially the the process. Um, a little bit after I had submitted that um, application, I got an email uh, wondering whether I might be available for a phone interview, uh, which is the the first step. And uh, shortly after that, I heard that I had advanced to the final round. So I was quite excited. Um, and I spoke with the dean, who invited me for a campus visit. Um, and I was one of uh, a number of finalists that come in, and on those sorts of visits, uh, they're, they're quite um, quite a whirlwind of activity. <laughs> if you go to somewhere that you've never been before, you fly in, you meet you meet someone, you know, they pick you up from the airport, you speak with them, you have dinner with somebody on the search committee, you have breakfast with somebody on the search committee, then you have a two-hour meeting with the search committee, you have lunch with the dean, you speak to somebody, you know, um, and then sort of finally after, just when you're ready for bed, it's like, oh, would you like to conduct <laughs> So, <laughs> So that, that was pretty much something something like how, how that was. So I worked with the orchestra. I brought along a piece of my my choosing alongside the repertoire that they had re- requested that we do, which was a Strauss tone poem. And I also worked with one of their uh, doctoral students mm. in uh, conducting. So, um, so that was uh, yes yeah, something along those uh, along those lines. And fortunately, uh, later that week, I I received a, an email, and then I um, followed up or. Yeah, we followed up the next day with a phone call to the dean who offered me the the position. Fantastic. Yes, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm curious um, what what piece you brought that was your choosing and and why and how you because I'm I am assuming that you prepared for that specifically or maybe it's something you worked on a lot. Um. So they. Um, and, and from my experience with these sorts of things, um, yeah, generally they ask you uh, to prepare a, a work that the orchestra has either performed and or is in the process of rehearsing and putting together for performance. In the case of my University of Kansas interview, it was a piece that the orchestra had recently performed, um, uh, Death and Transfiguration. Mm-hmm. I think they performed that in November, and that was uh, the piece that I 
auditioned on, and they also asked that I would bring a, a work for string orchestra, that the string okay. orchestra would be uh, essentially sight reading. Um, and that was a work that I came across um, a couple of years ago, and it's a work, it's called Sweet for Lower Strings, which is perhaps a slightly misleading name because it's actually for full string orchestra. Uh, it's it's uh, written by the New York-based uh, composer Clarissa Saad, and it's based on themes of Bach. So, okay. I mean, you're listening to it and you hear melodies and snippets um, of, of very, very well-known tunes by Bach. It's a bit of a, I guess, a string orchestra pastiche of a lot of his, <laughs> uh, lot of his music and, you know, with some pretty fun, funky uh effects and one of the really notable things about that the 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 work and the particular way that she's um put it together it features divided strings so the cello section divides into four different parts i think there's five or so viola parts five second violin parts five first violin parts so essentially it is a work for chamber string orchestra but everybody is very much responsible for their own individual part Mm -hmm. so um you know and coming in 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 as a conductor uh, you know, uh, you know, everyone talks about job interviews, well, uh, and and auditions, like uh, as being the the employer gets to decide whether they want to em- employ you, which is absolutely true. But also at the same time, you get to decide whether you want to conduct that orchestra, work there, and and in bringing, I guess, a piece like this, I really wanted to uh, see. I guess the scope and diversity of um, ability levels within the within the orchestra, you know, okay. and I I think um, I think it was a good choice of piece because certainly it wasn't something that they knew, so I, I could see you know what they could do in a very short space of time, and um, was also able to see um, the kinds of challenges that perhaps existed and the things that I will. Um, you know, be be able to work on when I when I take over this role. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't thought of it the other way because I think where we are, it's like oh, any any job is please please let. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. You're, it gives you it gives you a chance to um, yeah to see what they're capable of and to see how they react. I think I, yeah yeah I. I, you know, when I, I guess I was, you know, at, at your your stage as well. I, I think I was exactly the same, just a job, any. But um, and and th- there certainly is something to that. But I guess, you know, when you get a, a little bit older and get a little bit more experience, what I've learned is, um, you know, not necessarily any job or every job is certainly right for every conductor. It's a yeah. question of being um, a good fit for the environment, whether that's a professional, a professional orchestra. Um, and or whether it's a, a college job, you know, I mean, I know some amazing conductors. I've, I've done a lot of master classes, uh, you know, not only Aspen, but also in Europe and some absolutely phenomenal conductors. Um, and for whatever, you know, reason they haven't been able to find um, maybe their happy place is a good thing, <laughs> uh, a good way of um, expressing it. And by that, I mean the place in which they're able to grow and develop and thrive, you know. Yeah. Personality has a lot to, to do with it as well. I mean, you know, um, often some of the, the most amazing conductors, those that have very, very, very definite ideas about how they want things to go, um, they might not necessarily be the best fit in an assistant conductor role. You mm-hmm. know, they might be yeah. a much better fit for 
um, a, a musical leadership kind of role. And I think, you know, it's important to recognize what kind of person you are, whether you're happy, um, you know, to to be the person, you know, to be led by somebody else or whether you are the person who wants to be making this decisions, having some input with regard to repertoire programming um, and, and all of those things. So that's something I guess I'd encourage young conductors to think about because, yeah, I mean, there there certainly are jobs. There are um, jobs with community orchestras. There are jobs with uh, professional orchestras, assistant, associate, musical leadership kind of roles. There are jobs with big orchestras, you know, the more established full-time orchestras. There are, of course, in America, a lot of um, high-quality regional professional orchestras. There are jobs in high schools. There are youth orchestra positions, um, and there are people that make a living um, doing all manner and combination of all of those sorts of things, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, you had made a comment uh, you, about how, you know, some jobs are a good fit for you. Um, and at our age, you know, we are excited about any job that comes along. Um, so, like, what, w- what was your first job and what was the effect that it had on you and your growth as a conductor? <laughs> hmm. My first job as a conductor, I guess it, it – uh, I'm trying to think what qualifies for a job, as as a job, you know, and um, in that I mean I did a lot of projects, a lot of freelance, a lot of, you know, um, come please conduct us for this concert, Um, you know, will you fill in for this person, can we lean on you for that, can you, Um, so uh, it's, yeah, I mean my first I guess major full major full time conducting job was was certainly the Interlochen um, job. Up until that time, I, I feel very much it had been freelance and project based. You know, uh, was based at the University of Tasmania for a year. I was assistant chorus master with Sydney Philharmonia. I did a lot of work with youth orchestras around. At the same time, I was doing some you know studies and fellowships, some some work in uh, Germany at the same time. Um, you know, um, it's. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, yeah, now that I think about it, it's probably many more, you, you know, I mean, I think, and I, I was certainly very, very busy for a number of years, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, gainfully employed as a conductor, but in terms of actually having a job, which I think in, in American terms sort of means benefit somehow or something, <laughs> like, you know, stable, stable sort of employment, um, yeah, that, that you know, came came along probably five or so years into what I would call my conducting career, which was, you know, after the time that I'd been to Aspen and really decided to, um, you know, I guess put aside my violin, which was my uh, principal instrument, and um, move on from my my first teaching job to really focus on on conducting. So so yeah, mm-hmm. position maybe what we were looking for. and um so you you mentioned that in your time you did some workshops and stuff i know a workshop you recently did was the dallas opera institute for women um could you talk to us a little bit about that and uh why the workshop is important Sure. So the Dallas Opera started up this program, uh, I believe, three years ago. They've had three classes now. This year will be the fourth year. And it's called the Hart Institute for Women Conductors. And uh, the idea is to identify uh, women conductors who are on the verge of a major professional career and basically... Uh, I think give them a little bit of help um, in uh, moving towards that career. 
as it were, and they do that by uh, selecting uh, six conductors from an international field, um, and those conductors work very intensely over a two-week period with the Dallas Opera Orchestra and music staff, as well as uh, principal guest conductor Nicole Paymont and the uh, music director of the Dallas Opera, Emmanuel Viome, and uh, they work together with the orchestra, with those master teachers on operatic repertoire, on symphonic repertoire. So, you know, you have the chance to work with an amazing, amazing uh, orchestra absolutely every day. In addition to that, there are piano sessions, working with singers, coachings. And um, another really interesting thing, and I think this is perhaps one of the things that, you know, sets the Dallas Opera Program aside, there are a lot of uh, seminars um, Mm -hmm. uh, given by... um, Dallas Opera Professionals, the gentleman who started the program was the uh, general director, Keith Cerny, um, by people like him um, and other professionals uh, this year, for, or the year that I did it last year, for example, Jesse Rosen, um, president of the League of American Orchestras, uh, came in and spoke to people. Um, Alec Troyhaf, very well-known um, industry agent, manager in the business, so people that are, you know, presidents of boards, um, people who are agents, people who work uh, in opera houses, people who work with symphony orchestras, just industry business professionals, I guess. Um, And they spoke and they they work with conductors on the, essentially everything that nobody ever tells you in school, (laughs) you know, all of the associated uh, aspects of the the business, how you represent yourself, how you present yourself, the importance of networking, networking, uh, the things, yeah, I guess the, you know, when you are a conductor, it's a very public, uh, kind of position. Yeah. It's a very visible sort of position. Um, and I guess, uh, it was very helpful for them, or very helpful for us conductors to be reminded of the things that people see, notice, observe, etc. Um, uh, when, you know, when not necessarily on the podium. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, as to your question as to why it's important, I think, I mean, if anyone looks at the statistics um, regarding the number of female conductors in uh, the United States, those statistics probably speak for themselves. Out of the top 22 budget orchestras, there's one music director, that's Marin Alsop. Um, uh, You, you, uh, you know, said when we we sort of started the interview, um, you know, that, that KU is a big job, it's a big school. There's now in the United States two women heading up doctoral programs in conducting, um, orchestral conducting. Marin Alsop is one of them at Peabody, and I am the other at the University of K- um, Kansas. So uh, I'm not quite sure exactly how many doctoral programs in conducting in the United States there are, but certainly I would guess that the, the fact that there's two women, that really does put us percentage-wise at a very, very small number. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And kind of going on that um – in your time as a conductor, um, have you had any experience negatively as a female conductor? Um, and maybe what's, what's some advice you might give to maybe a young female conductor who's just starting? I mean, I've certainly had negative experiences, but whether that's just be, as, a, as a conductor or a female conductor, I don't really know because I am a female conductor. I mean, I think any young conductor 
uh, is going to have those difficult kinds of experiences. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not sure looking back whether any of the ones I've had were directly attributable to the fact that I'm female. They might have been, they might not have been. Uh, I'm I'm not sure it's worth kind of going over. Mm -hmm. There have certainly been a number of things I've noticed uh, in in media releases and, you know, press reports um, that I think uh, would not have been... Uh, said the way that they were had I been male. And, I mean, nothing major, nothing uh, for me to get horribly upset about or insulting. I mean, just, you know, remarking on the fact that I'm a woman. I did a a concert in Australia last year that got a great review, but it said, you know, the conductor, comma, garbed dramatically in black and red, Mm. comma, you know, and I can't really imagine the conductor, comma, garb traditionally uh, handsome <laughs> tuxedo comma, you know you know just, just you know yeah. a minor point like that i you know and i mean i'm does it bother me no am i offended by it no i mean i think it's quirky funny interesting you know maybe a little bit unnecessary but um you know i think uh Hopefully over the next, you know, 5, 10, 15, 50 years, there'll be less and less of, of kind of, oh, she's wearing that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, perhaps, you know, if we're even to, to look at it, oh, she's wearing that is even a step up from, oh, look, it's a she yeah. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, so, so I, you know, um, I think what I read something this morning that said look for uh, progress rather than perfection. And I think, you know, okay. that's maybe – that's maybe what we all have to keep in mind. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite questions to ask, uh, do you have a piece um, that's maybe less less known in the, in the world um, of classical music? Maybe it's an older piece that's just been lost to time or a new piece that has just hmm. not found a footing yet. Is there something that you wish could just get more exposure? Yeah, I mean, I've, I guess I've got a, you know, a few party pieces and favorites that I really like to do that I think are are great pieces that for whatever reason, (coughs) um, perhaps don't get programmed here. And by here, I mean America, um, in the way that they might, for example, in Europe. Um, and I spent a couple of years, uh, in uh, Hungary at the Kodai Institute. So I'm quite familiar with the work of Bartok, Bartok and Kodai and, you know, Bartok probably, Everybody knows the Concerto for Orchestra, which is a phenomenal, phenomenal work. But um, his dance suite um, mm-hmm. is less known, but uh, really, really wonderful, challenging, vibrant, vigorous work. So, um, you know, I am a big, big fan of Bartok and Kodai as well. I, I mentioned my party pieces. I mean, the Galanta dancers is in itself <laughs> a, a total, total party piece. I also uh, like, and I, I don't know that you hear, hear so much, the uh, Kabalevsky Kolos Brenion yes. Overture that I've done a couple mm-hmm. of times. I have done, uh, actually did here once at Interlochen, and I also did it uh, with, interestingly, of the Kodai Philharmonic in uh, <laughs> Hungary a couple of years back. Um, really, really wonderful, really wonderful work. Um, I guess another another favorite of mine, and uh, we can mention it, uh, we mention it anyway, but uh, maybe particularly relevant in his centenary year is the Bernstein Divertimento for orchestra. Okay. And it's a you know little pastiche of I think seven or eight movements, and 
It was composed for the centenary of the Boston Symphony, so the central motive is the semitone between B and C for Boston centenary. <laughs> so, um, you know, and the, the, the final movement is, is all uh, centered around that. The final movement is a parody of a Sousa March, and it's in 5-4, and, you know, the opening movement is a parody of Till Eulenspiegel, and there's, you know, there's uh, the second, or I wish it was the second movement, but there is a lovely strings-only waltz in seven that is a parody of the second movement of Tchaikovsky's Sixth Symphony, of course, the, the waltz in five. Um, so, yeah, I would highly recommend hmm. people getting to know the, the Bernstein Divertimento for orchestra. That sounds delightful. I've never heard of that. Yeah, yeah, well, there we that go. Sound, there we that go. sounds like... Uh, something that conductors and orchestras should love. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's yeah. a lot of fun, actually, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then do you have any hobbies or interests outside of music that you feel might influence your career in conducting? I mean, I certainly do have hobbies and uh, interests <laughs> outside of music. Whether they influence my, my career, I'm not sure. Um, you know, probably, I mean, I, I like travel, which is a good thing, I guess, because as a conductor I tend to travel quite a lot. Um uh, but I am quite into uh, travel photography, and that's one thing I really very much like to do, um, taking photos in, in general. Um, I, you know, there's a lot of beauty in nature, but there's also a lot of beauty in cities and people and cityscapes and, you know, different times of the day and weather and just, you know, finding solace somehow above a bustling marketplace. You know, whether that uh, impacts my career as a conductor, I, I – I'm not sure that it does, but I mean, it's certainly nice to, um, you know, take a complete break and get away. Um, and, you know, I think we maybe forget a little bit about that, uh, you know, with our hectic day-to-day -day lives in a way that, you know, we look back at the great composers. I mean, they certainly always had a summer retreat on a mm -hmm. lake somewhere that they went to go and walk and or compose. And, you know, I think that kind of respite is, is very, very important. And, you know, in a, busy life like we have and certainly a you know um busy uh, conducting career i mean it's certainly difficult to find the time but i think very important mm -hmm. yep those old older generations definitely liked their nature yeah yeah and their uh, you know, medicinal spa waters and all of those uh -huh. things you know so mm -hmm. yeah it's it's very it's very very important you know you've got to be fresh and alert and it's certainly easier said than done but you know and i know as a conductor like our work never never stops um you know there's always a score to learn there's always yeah yes always yes. always <laughs> uh. i know um dimitri metropolis um really liked hiking but not like like not like just hiking like mountain climbing it was like um i'm reading his biography right now and it talks a bit about how the climb like starting a score and and getting over that that challenge is it was paralleled like summiting a mountain in a very similar way yeah. yeah, it's funny you should mention that because one of the works I, I conducted in Dallas um, was an extract from a recent opera called Everest. And um, it was um, it's a, an amazing piece. And it was based on the, I think, the 96 Everest drama, um, you know, where just a, sort of a perfect storm of events um, all transpired to 
um, uh, result in the most deadly evening on the mountain, like in commercial climbing history. And this particular aria that I was uh, conducting um, was, uh, you know, from that opera so I mean I found myself um, actually after I'd conducted it when I actually had a little bit of of time of a break just um, you know researching and discovering and finding out much more what happened that night and you know what happens to your body at altitude like was absolutely fascinating and I think you know certainly with contemporary operas and works being written today I mean they are based and they take their inspiration from all manner of things natural Mm -hmm. disasters um you know, uh, current uh, war-torn uh, areas, conflict, um, you know, and in order to have some sort of insight and background, I mean, you've got to have some kind of experience. I'm not saying, you know, to conduct an aria, you necessarily need to go climb Everest particularly, um, you know. But, um, yeah, to, to put the time into, I think, understand and to learn a little bit about the background, what was going on in the composer's mind, what it is they're trying to uh, convey and how they are actually trying to convey that musically. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really time that's very worthwhile spent, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, opera subjects have they've been very um, creative, and not not the traditional opera subjects that we would think about. I mean, the I think Minnesota did The Shining last year, which was apparently very very good. And yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of material in the world right now that is that is definitely being being used for opera. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Jeremy and I are very interested in, in your plans for the conducting program at uh, <laughs> KU. Um, and kind of to go along with that, one of the questions we usually ask is, is, uh, is there a problem or shortcoming that you see in uh, music education, uh, be it in conducting or outside of conducting, um, mm-hmm. that you, you hope to see uh, filled so, some way? Hmm. I mean, it's a little bit to tricky to answer that question given that, you know, I've not yet taken over the conducting program. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, uh, like any, uh, well, not necessarily like anyone, but I think probably, you know, most people going into a new environment, they, uh, need to take a little bit of time to basically figure out, first of all, what is that environment? What already exists there? Certainly there are some very, very, uh, good things. There are some things that, you know, I might like to do differently, um, and or that I might like to tweak, you know, in a certain way to perhaps make them a little bit more in line with my experience. Um, And I think, you know, for any teacher, that's very important because, you know, you are going to be able to help the students and you're going to be able to do your best in um, certainly with material that you're most familiar with and working in the way that you are most used to. Um, And, you know, it's a it's going to be a dialogue with um, the student and or students that 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 I will have um, um, over the next few years, because that certainly um, is going to differ for for each of them, because they will bring in differing um, levels of experience. And some might be really great, for example, with stick stick technique, but might need a little bit of uh, time and help um, with ear training. Others might have really great rehearsal skills, but, you know, might need some help with people skills. (laughs) Um, You know, 
And I think, honestly, at, at, at that, that level of study, um, a much more personalised approach um, is probably going to be much more effective because, you know, you are training young professionals. You've already got young professionals and you're, you're ideally, um, after three years of doctoral study, going to take them to the next level. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, you know, reflecting back on my many years of experience with different teachers, um, in who, who've each had their own own way. I mean, I certainly know what works for me, and I try to, uh, as as a teacher, you know, uh, help each student that I've got in the way that's going to work for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so yeah, in terms of the the conducting program, um, you know, it's going to depend a little bit on the individual um, people that are in it, and I think over the time, uh, you know, over the next few years, that's going to uh, perhaps be a little bit clearer and more defined, more, yeah. more uh, I want to say regimented because that's not the <laughs> one, but, uh, but I mean, it's, it's already a pretty, a pretty comprehensive uh, degree plan um, mm-hmm. that, I mean, they've shown me the outline. I'm just like, whew, glad I don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are there any, are there any students partway through the degree that you'll be picking up or do you have fresh students? I've got a, a incoming student. Okay. Yeah. So there is a student graduating uh, this semester, as it were. So um, I went up there in uh, spring break and uh, met with a couple of prospective applicants. Um, and out of those, chose a, a GA who will uh, come and be the uh, orchestral uh, conducting GA for the next uh, three or so years. Yeah. Do you have any um, Do you have any rep planned for that season? I mean, my uh, first concert. Uh, we have a the University of Kansas has a lovely uh, venue called the Lead Center, and they have an arrangement with the School of Music whereby they bring in a soloist. Mm-hmm. So the soloist that the Lead Center is bringing in is a Canadian violinist by the name of Blake Pulio, um, and uh, with him we're doing the Brahms Concerto. And also Beethoven Eroica. That's going to be my first. Uh, it's going to be my first <laughs> concert. Yeah. So, so it's going to be webcast. So I mean, I'll put oh, it on Facebook or something. And you yeah, and we'll you we'll share watch. it. Yeah. 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 That's a. That's that's a. What am I trying to say? That's quite the way to to start your time. <laughs> I'm all for, all for bold statements, so yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was I was sort of thinking, you know, whether whether I would add a third piece to that, and then I, I you know I think I've come to my senses, and I think that's yeah, probably that's probably enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Will you be doing the opera there also? Yes. Yes, yeah. I will. Yeah, and I know the the work that we're doing next year, the main stage is uh, Britain, Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so that will be something new for me. I don't know that I've conducted any uh, Britain operas. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know Midsummer. I know bits of, like, Peter Grimes, but yeah, but that's it, you know. Yeah, so, you know, that's, uh, you know, takes quite a bit of time to, to learn an opera score, so it's a good thing I've got yeah. almost a year's notice, so I get... Get onto it now. So. About about how much how far ahead do you do you start on an opera score? Because it's so I mean it's it's like two concerts worth of music just for the one. 
Yeah, it's but it's so much more than that somehow, you know. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> and I think you have to think of it uh, in, a, in a very different way as well. Um, honestly, it, it depends sort of on my schedule, how much time I've, I've, I've got, what else I've got. Ideally, as, as much in as possible, as far in advance as I can, you know, because um, it takes quite a bit of time to get to learn to, you know, uh, not only learn, but, you know, learn to live with, to just, you know, know, know so very, very well the, the text and all of the permutations and yeah. where people are going to breathe and the different possibilities <laughs> and what to be aware of. There's just, you know, so many, so many moving parts, um, mm -hmm. so many parts of the jigsaw puzzle when it comes to opera, actually, yeah. Yeah. And then something's going to go wrong every night. <laughs> you just never know where. <laughs> you never know where. Yeah. You never know what. Yeah. yeah. I was yeah. I was doing one earlier this semester. We did Magic Flute and I was very lucky to get a chance to do one of the one of the performances. And awesome. um and every night went really well. There wasn't really anything big that happened and then I got up there and and I went to start one of the movements and like nobody like two people played of the in the orchestra and and i had this moment of like oh should i go on or should i stop and so i stopped i said okay, stop stop okay now let's go <laughs> but yeah i was i was not expecting that of all places for something that just didn't seem like uh yeah anyway <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah you never and, know you know you're right, you do never know, and that's a challenging thing. I mean, because something happens and you've got basically a, a nanosecond mm -hmm. to make uh, a decision. Yeah. And, I mean, you just have to make a decision, you just have to go with it, and it might be the right one, it might not be the right one, but, you know, you just, you just, you know, and you may well get um, criticized for making the decision that you did, but, you know, you uh, you have to do it. I mean, I've certainly conducted some pieces and things have happened. It's just been like, ooh, 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 okay, what okay. can I do now? And, you know, you do what you, you know, like the soul whisper gets to come or, you know, yeah. uh, the queen of the night is, I don't know, in her bathroom or where. <laughs> um, you know, you've just got to just gotta figure out a way to, to make it work um, one way or the other. Yeah. yeah. You have to think on your feet. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I mean, I think that pretty much brings us to our last question. Um, Jeremy, it's your favorite question. Oh yes, the <laughs> Tim Ferriss billboard question. Um, if you could, if you could um, <laughs> erect a, uh, I guess hypothetical, I don't know, symbolic, symbolic billboard that would basically be a be a message out to musicians or conductors. Um, what what message would you would you send out? Um, yeah, I mean, I've got the perfect message and I've got the perfect answer to your question, but um, unfortunately, a company by the name of Nike has stolen my statement <laughs> and it would be just do it. Um, you know, so often I think we wonder, oh, should I go into music? Should I be a conductor? Are there any jobs? It's so competitive. Am I good enough? I don't know whether, you know, do I want to live there? What happens if, the, you know, all of this sort of, you know, my head talks back to us and we have all of these, uh, you know, uh, moments, very valid and, and difficult moments of self-doubt and wondering, and should I do this? Or, you know, my mother said I should have gone into law. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, if you if you really want to succeed at something, you've got to be fully committed. And the, the way that you can, uh, the, the first thing that you, you can do is just to basically make the decision that that's what you're going to do. And you're going to stick with that 
if you're going to stick with that decision and, um, you know, and that's not to say that you should, you know, uh, doggedly bang your head against a, a brick wall if things aren't going to work, but that's to say that you should, you know, be committed to what you want to do and to be uh, forever looking for ways, um, and they may well be different ways or new ways or ways that you hadn't, you know, uh, initially uh considered but looking for ways to make it happen mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so yeah so all right just do it just get started just, just, yeah just Perfect. get started but just actually keep going yes yeah. you know get, mm-hmm. getting started is is arguably easier um than than keeping going in many ways you know and keeping going when things are um you know uh, when things are going your, well, your, your way and you're having a lot of success and concerts are going really well, you're getting good reviews, et cetera, et cetera, um, that's, uh, that's the great part. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenging part is, you know, when all of those things are not happening, you know, when you're putting in the applications, when you're not getting the calls back, you know, or you have an audition and it doesn't go as well as you hope, you know, or you have an audition that does go really well and you still don't get the position because that, you know, that absolutely happens, you know, mm-hmm. and that, that, that can absolutely be hard when, you know, you feel you've done a really good job, you get really great feedback, and then somebody else gets it. You know? <laughs> but, that's part, but that's part of life and growing, and, you know, I think uh, somehow somehow we end up in uh, places that, you know, are uh, the right place for us, and it might not be what we originally had in mind, but it's just a matter of keeping looking and um, finding finding that right place. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a good place to stop. Okay. Great advice. Thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome. Thank you for speaking to me. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening to this episode of Podium Time. You can find show notes for this episode and all of our other episodes at podiumtimepod.wordpress.com. Be sure to join our mailing list there or on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash podiumtimepod. Mendelssohn's Italian Symphony was performed by the Czech National Symphony Orchestra, and Beethoven's Egmont Overture was performed by Stefano Ligorati. (laughs) ¶¶